to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. It got to the point where I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious. I was journaling in a book. It's okay. You can do this. It's just the baby blues, you know, calling myself horrendous names, you know, comparing myself to others. And at three weeks, when she was three weeks old, my husband just sort of turned around and said, there is something not right and we need to get it sorted. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Postnatal depression. We hear this term a lot. The stats are one in five women will experience it post-birth. But what if it was extreme? On the very other end of the spectrum? What if your mental health deteriorated so quickly and dangerously your life and your newborn was at risk of harm or worse? What if you needed to be institutionalised for years, given ECT treatments and every drug imaginable to try and help? This wasn't a what-if for Taryn. This is her story. Content warning, if you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Taryn, it's taken us a long time to get here today, but I'm just so grateful that you stuck with me and you're really happy to share your story. I know it's a big one for you today, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to share just to help whoever I can. I think when we hear the term postnatal depression, it's quite a spectrum, isn't it? Yes. Well, you have the baby blues, which is very normal hormonal response after having a baby. But then anything that lasts longer than that sort of initial 10 days is considered abnormal. And you can have mild depressive thoughts, um, anxiety, and that can really scale to you know depression where someone's suicidal anxiety where people can't leave the house um so the scale's huge and I think that's important to understand I think it's important to know like you said if it's an extended feeling of anxiety or depression it's a different feeling than you've got a newborn and that's just overwhelming yeah I think definitely there's a difference between being overwhelmed but then being able to overcome those feelings to leave the house to get bread or milk or whatever you need to or asking for help for someone to help you but when those thoughts and actions you know become crippling and really affect your life and everyone's lives around you that's when it becomes a problem. You had very extreme PND can you take us back to let's say the end of your pregnancy and then into your birth and then postpartum experience? Yeah, sure. Um, I had a relatively easy pregnancy. Um, I'd had no history of mental health issues apart from being probably a high achiever. Um, Then it came to the end of the pregnancy and I had high blood pressure, so I had to be induced, which to me was okay. I didn't really have any bad feelings about that. Went to the hospital. It was all very planned, very clinical. Um, Had the baby. It wasn't overly traumatic, so I didn't have birth trauma as such. But um, as soon as she was born, I I just had this panic. I sort of looked at this baby thinking what the hell am I going to do with you 
I I don't I don't know what to do and it just got worse and worse and worse I was crying I couldn't work out how to stop my baby crying and it it got to the point where I couldn't eat I couldn't sleep um I was so anxious I was journaling in a book it's okay you can do this it's just the baby blues you know calling myself horrendous names you know comparing myself to others and at three weeks when she was three weeks old my husband just sort of turned around and said there is something not right and we need to get it sorted and that's kind of where my journey started and this was your first child first child um yeah I'd done the research yeah read the, the books. nothing really to compare it to it wasn't like you'd had a different experience this was your first experience yes it was my first experience and I I thought I knew what I was doing because I had read all those baby books that they tell you to read and I'd been to all the classes and you know I chatted to other mums but nothing nothing can prepare prepare you for when that baby's actually in your arms. So your husband's obviously worried. There are signs here that he's he's alerted to. What is his next step? He took me to a GP. Um, we kind of, he didn't know what was wrong. Um, he just knew that I was really struggling. Um, and the first GP we went to was quite abrupt. He kind of said, well, it's your first baby. What do you expect? And wrote a number on a piece of paper, which was to the local mental health unit. Um, and I just freaked out. I just was like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I don't need this. But my husband persisted and we just went to another GP who uh knew a bit more about PND, was a bit more understanding, and she actually set a meeting up with a um, uh, the director of a mother and baby unit at a specialist um, psychiatric hospital, which I wasn't happy to go to, but my husband kind of forced me to, mm. which in, like, looking back, saved my life, but um, I, I did not think that I was unwell enough. I just thought that I had to pull my finger out and get over it and snap out of it and do my job. But I just couldn't do that. So the baby is how many weeks when you enter the facility? She was three weeks old. So I'm grateful that I went early because had I waited, I I don't know what the outcome would have been. This is going to be a really personal question but when it was at its worst, what was a what was a day like or a moment like for you? What was happening for you? I would lie awake waiting for my baby to wake up. I wasn't sleeping. I was having horrendous thoughts that made me feel physically unwell about harming my child I never would have but it made the thoughts were that awful that I was feeling physically unwell I would go to eat and the food would get stuck in my throat and I just I couldn't swallow and then I would just be crying and had this internal dialogue about what an absolute shit human I was because I should be so grateful that I've got this baby and instead I would look at my child and feel nothing. I think that's probably the worst thing was just that numbness of I could just leave her and walk away and probably not feel a thing. And that to me, I knew that was abnormal, but I just could not make myself feel a thing. Were you resentful? Um, yeah, I, I was resentful that I was feeling this way. And as my illness progressed, I did resent my daughter and to an extent my husband, because 
I was healthy and now I wasn't. And that's what made me unwell. But I think those feelings of resentment were part of the illness. Like I had all of these very concrete thoughts that I just couldn't shake. I thought they were real, but they weren't. Did you tell your husband that you wanted to harm your baby or was that something you kept private? I kept it private. Um, I told my psychiatrist when I was admitted that I had those thoughts. Um, But I was so appalled by them and they were just things that would come to me. I I never would have acted on them, but I was so appalled at myself and disgusted. The sense of self-loathing I had was just awful that I was, yeah, I just, I couldn't bring myself to tell anyone. So it's a confronting day when you have to be admitted into a psychiatric facility. Yeah. Especially for a high achiever. What is happening to you? What is going on for you? At first there was the disbelief that I was that unwell. I just thought it was something I had to overcome. But when I spoke to the staff member there, she just, she literally took one look at me and said, you need to go home and pack your bags and come back in. And um, we need to, you know, sort out what's happening for you because it's not normal. And I, I was very embarrassed. Um, you know, I kind of saw it as a sign of weakness that I just could not snap out of whatever I was in. I didn't believe I had depression. I just thought that there was something intrinsically wrong with me and I just needed to snap out of it. Um, my, I had some close family members who told me the same, so I kind of believed that I could snap out of it. But the day that I had to unpack my bags, um, my bags were searched for um, harmful objects. You know, they took shoelaces away. Um, I bought in a razor to shave my legs. That was confiscated. That was humiliating because I just had never been through that experience before. And it was just very confronting. Where's the baby through this period? Like within the first three weeks that you were meeting her needs but struggling, was anyone else supporting you? And then when you went to the facility, did she join you? So my husband was home uh, for the first couple of weeks and I had my mum pop in um, and, you know, she she had trouble feeding, so I was, you know, trying to see numerous lactation consult, trying to do all the right things. Um, so I did have support at home. Uh, when my husband went back to work, though, that was terrifying for me because I, I just believed I had absolutely no resources to look after her and that I was a shit human and, you know, I didn't deserve this baby. Um, when I was admitted to hospital, it was a mum baby unit. So she was admitted with me. And then the day that I was admitted, I was met by my psychiatrist who basically told me I needed to start some medication um, just to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. I was very against um, any medication. I always have been, but I kind of went on it, providing that it was breastfeeding friendly. Mm -hmm. And then I would take the meds, it's kind of zonked me out. And then someone would look after my baby at nighttime and bring her in to feed when I needed to, um, or when she needed to, sorry. But yeah, she was with me. Were you resistant to the facility and their protocols or did you just surrender? Were you just so exhausted that you were like, just whatever it takes? I was resistant 
not not on the terms where I was. I, I mean, I did argue a lot with the staff members about, um, you know, going on medication. I didn't believe I needed cognitive behavioural therapy, but I sort of also felt like I had been admitted and I needed to do whatever I could to try and get better because I could see what it was doing to my husband. So I was also trying to do the best thing, but it was, I guess, ultimately against my wishes at the time. Mm. Yeah, and the way the meds make you feel, um, I'd never taken any kind of psychiatric medication before, but it does really knock you around. And it sounds so there must be some kind of system or program where they're just trying to get you rested and then rehabilitated in some way to be able to care for her or connect with her. What happens in the next days or weeks? Initially, I was told I would probably be there two or three weeks just to let me, I guess, catch up on sleep, which can really make you feel very bad. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Every mum knows. Um, Pop me on some low-dose medication uh, just to sort of pull me out of that hole and get me functioning. And, you know, the nurses there were excellent. They would show me how to swaddle the baby and, you know, look after her. So they were kind of teaching me as well unfortunately for me though the the medication just didn't work um and i went through many 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 different kinds of meds to try and work out what would be effective for me um and in the first week i commenced an inpatient cognitive behavioral therapy program and it was all about I guess, challenging your negative thoughts and really trying to reframe my thinking that I wasn't a failure. That was my big thing, that I was a failure and I just deserved to die. The psychiatric unit, I guess, you tried to treat me with CBT and medication as well as education strategies from the nurses Um, But I just found, you know, the two weeks that I was there went to three weeks. My meds were upped. Then they added stuff like Xanax for anxiety, all of these other PRNs, which are per required need meds, which are ones that you take when you feel like you're just not coping despite all your usual medications. Um, It got to the six-week mark. And the doctor just said to me, my psychiatrist, he said, look, we need to use some stronger medications that aren't breastfeeding safe. And um, I flipped out and said, there is no way in hell that I'm stopping breastfeeding because of my fucked up brain. Sorry for swearing. But, you know, that is not going to determine you know whether or not I breastfeed my baby and he just said well you know what Taryn you can either get ECT which is electroconvulsive therapy or try some stronger drugs because what I'm hearing from you is in fact a mother's maternal need underneath all of the chaos is you still wanting to breastfeed which is such a um, instinctual thing. So it's so, it's such an interesting thing to hear because you've talked about harm and self-hatred and yeah, that's still at the front of mind, which is just so interesting. I wanted to do the best by her. I you know. And I mean, I look back at it now and, and my opinion is fed is best, you know, not breast or bottle, but you know, I'm taught 10 years ago or nine years ago, it's my, my daughter's nearly nine, it was very breast is best, try and breastfeed. You know, when I had all the issues, it was like just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And I did want her to have the best and, I, you know, I 
I, I guess I did have that, the urge to give her whatever I could despite my health. Um, but when I was presented with the option of ECT or stronger meds, I did not want ECT at all. I'd seen it as a student. I am, I'm a health professional. And so as a student, that was one of the um, prac experiences that I, I saw. I went and saw someone undergoing ECT. And to me, I wasn't sick enough for that. I, you know, I had postnatal depression. I wasn't schizophrenic or um, in jail because of my mental illness, which is very naive now that I look back at it. But at the time, that was just not where I wanted to go. So I, I did stop breastfeeding and try some strong, stronger meds. This is really interesting. I think for people that don't know much about, I, I remember it as electric shock treatment. What is what are you calling it now? Electric um, convulsive therapy. Convulsive therapy. Is it the same thing with a different name? Yeah. Can you explain what it entails? So basically some electrodes are placed on your head and just kind of underneath your ears and your chest and your abdomen and you're given a, not a general anaesthetic but a twilight sedation so you can't remember it but your an electric current is, I guess, passed into your brain to try and reset, I guess, the neurotransmitters it's quite intense it's it's very intense and it's but it's also very effective it, studies have shown it has been a very effective treatment if all else fails before you have to go down that path you try heavier meds I tried heavier meds. Um, one made me quite psychotic, uh, just gave me these awful, like, kind of intensified the really awful thoughts that I was having. Um, one actually made my kidney function start to fail. Um, so I was unfortunate in that I reacted very badly to a lot of the medications. And it, it just it got to the point where basically I had no choice. It was either have ECT or just, well, if I didn't have ECT, I think I wouldn't be alive today. So that was my option. Wow. Um, and, and, so, and it was horrific. <laughs> I mean, that's a very confronting thing to face, especially as a health professional and knowing what is going to happen. Yeah. Did you just surrender? Were you at the point of desperation or were you still fighting? I, it got to the point where I just, I just, I guess I surrendered. I just was like, if this is the only thing that's going to make me better, then I'll just do it. Like just, and at that point I didn't even really care what happened to me. Like I remember, um, you know, the first time lying there and the nurse, she was lovely. She was, I was just on like a little trolley and you can hear, so you can hear the people before, you can hear the machine making these like high-pitched kind of noises. So you can hear the people having it. And I was so anxious and I was just bawling my eyes out and I can remember being wheeled into this very bright room and I just looked at the anaesthetist and I just said to him, can you please, please just give me too much anaesthetic so I never wake up again? And I would get ECT three times a week and would beg him every single time just to kill me. And I was like, no, well, no, it'll be an accident. Please just, just kill me. And I mean, obviously he was lovely and he's like, you're going to feel better soon. You'll wake up okay but you know I did undergo quite a bit of ECT I think over 70 
sessions, not all at once, oh. but um, over the yeah over the course of the next eighteen months, I did get it because it was kind of the only thing that sort of pulled me out of that really dark hole, which I would eventually go back down again. And um, yeah, it, my last my last course was when my daughter was just over two. Oh. Yeah, it was terrifying. I just feel so sad that that's your experience and that yeah you could beg someone to kill you because you were so yeah. at a loss that just feels oh I just thought everyone would be so much better off if they didn't have to worry about me and you know I couldn't snap out of it myself so I should just die and everyone would be far better off. Like they, I acknowledged, I was like, yeah, they might be sad for a bit, but long-term they would be better off without me. And I just, it was, it's sad because I look back and I can barely remember the first three years of my daughter's life from the ECT. A lot of my memories of my wedding day oh. was, you know, I'll be watching movies with my husband even now and he's like, I remember when we saw this and I just won't have any recollection at all. Because I wanted to ask about that. That is the side effect. It doesn't just mm. alter what they're trying to fix. It alters things that are... Memories, yeah. So depression itself affects your memory because you're just not in any sort of shape, I guess, to form great memories. But the ECT not only affected the memory of the time, but it's affected my retrograde memories of the past. Some some of it has come back, so I have managed to get back to work, but it took a lot of work to get there. Were you discharged at all or were you in there for the 18 months? I was discharged, so the first admission lasted five months. Um, which is a really long time when you think about my husband who was kind of by himself at home with his wife and daughter in a psych unit. Um, my first discharge, I think I lasted a week and then I was readmitted because I actually self-harmed and I've never done that in the past, but I, um, I was home and I just remember looking at a knife and I don't even know why, but I picked it up and just kind of cut my arm, not deep enough to do any damage, but I just wanted to see if I could feel anything because I, and I couldn't, like I just, it, it was, I just looked at myself and I kind of went back to the hospital for an outpatient visit and my, I just told my psychiatrist that and he just immediately called my husband and said, I'm not, I'm not sending Taryn home. She's self-harmed and my husband had no idea. Um, and he just, he was shocked as was I. I. Looking back, I can't believe I did that, but it was just something that came to me and I, I did it. And it was so shocking that my life had spiralled to the point where I was doing that, that, I still can't believe it. Like I, it makes me feel sort of sick to the stomach now talking about it. So you get readmitted for how long? To be honest, I don't know exact dates because my memory of like of those specific things isn't fantastic. But it would have been probably it would have been about six weeks, and then I went home again. The first two years of her life I was in and out quite a bit overall I would have spent over 12 months in hospital as an inpatient but then when I was an outpatient I went every single week for a psychiatry appointment and a psychology kind of group appointment. So what is it like integrating back into home life terrifying it's horrendous it's the most anxiety provoking thing you can think of because the hospital becomes that safe place where if you don't know what to do because you're anxious you can ask a nurse so it 
you become a bit dependent upon that. And the staff there are very well aware and they they try and make you independent with your baby when you're in the hospital. But when you're at home, it's a whole different ball game. So I think it's, you know, I, I had my mum and my mother-in-law and a lot of people come and stay with me because I couldn't actually get up at night because the meds I was on was so strong. I was a zombie. I was, I remember a friend, she came to visit me and she's told me this only in the last six months. She's like, can you remember when I visited you? And I was like, no. She's like, you, you were staggering down the hallway. You just were an absolute zombie. You could barely form a sentence because I'd been having all this ECT and medication and, so I, you know, going home, I needed that support. I just used to, you know, wake up and think, okay, I've just got to get to breakfast time and do everything that I could just to get to eight o'clock in the morning. And then I'd be, okay, just have to get to 10 o'clock. And it's almost like every two hours is a marathon, but you do that day in, day out. And in addition to all the therapy and drugs and everything you're taking it you know I slowly did get better with time when was that time did you say that was two or three years into it like when did you feel like you were reborn or you were yourself again so my daughter was two years and three months when I had my last admission and that's when I had the last bit of ECT that I had and I remember my doctor coming to see me and he said, look, I really want to try you on this med combination, but I've needed to get um, approval from other doctors because the two combined um, shouldn't be combined. Mm. It can give you heart problems, um, but I think it's really the only thing that's going to work for you. So I... Um, I just agreed. I just was like, I don't care. Just put me on whatever you think's going to work. Um, and I think it's a combination of time since pregnancy. I think with my particular problem, my brain chemicals are almost allergic to whatever happens during pregnancy, all those hormonal surges. And that takes a couple of years to settle down. Plus the CBT plus the meds and I think this might not have anything to do with it but I was really determined to start trying to look after my own health a bit more because during when I was depressed I was very uh, unmotivated to do anything and I'd always been very fit and healthy so I made a decision to try and eat better go for a walk every day and just have a bit more of a holistic approach um because I was well enough not not well but well enough to at least try those things as well what's the impact on your relationship with your husband that was really tough um I think I'll be forever grateful for him for sticking by me even though I begged him to leave me um but there was a point where him just even touching me affectionately really repulsed me and it was just that revulsion that I got because I didn't feel that I was worthy of being loved and I just that really I think hurt him because he you know he's a touchy-feely guy he you know that's how he shows his emotions and to me I um I just felt repulsed and we ended up at one stage sleeping in separate beds because um I didn't want anyone near me um we did go to couples counseling to talk through some of those issues and because he'd also been through a trauma like what he saw me go through was so traumatic for him and 
I'm just so lucky that he's the kind of guy that he is that stuck by me. Um, and, you know, we're a normal couple now, but it was a tough three years and it was very, we'd only been married 18 months when my daughter was born. So it was quite early on in the relationship too. What's your relationship like with your daughter now? Like what was that? How has the bond formed over the years? Um, Initially, you know, there was that numbness. I think I'm always going to question the bond. We're very close, but I'm always going to question it because I think I have, I will always have guilt because I could not bond with her like I should have. You know, I'm saying should in inverted commas, but mm. I've, I have some guilt surrounding our relationship. Um, if, you know, she's a sassy, nearly nine-year-old girl, um, if she's, sort of pushing my buttons, I sort of think, oh, is that sometimes I question myself surrounding that? And I think that is quite normal considering the traumatic start we had. Um, but she, when I, so after she was one, she wasn't allowed to come into the hospital with me anymore. Okay. So she spent, she spent a lot of time with grandparents and my husband whilst I was an inpatient. Um, and so initially she had horrendous separation anxiety um, whenever I was around. So I'd drop her to daycare and she would flip out to the point where, you know, we were prying her arms off me oh. just so I could leave her. So, I, you know, I have horrendous guilt about that. Um, but doesn't that also show that incredible bond regardless? Oh, yeah. She's always... She's such a cuddly, affectionate, sweet girl and I'm just so lucky to have her. I'm probably going to get a bit emotional here, but, um, you know, when I first came home from hospital, she refused to sleep unless I was in bed with her. So I slept with her for a full year um, and she would just hold my hand to make sure I wasn't going to go away again. Um, so I think over time that's gotten it got stronger and stronger and stronger it got tested a little bit I did go on and have a second child um they're four years apart how was that 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 I am like wow even the thought oh I know I was it was suggested to me that I should consider adopting because of the experience I had but second time round. I did become unwell, but um, we knew the medications that worked for me. So I was I was in a much better place and I managed to remain an outpatient. So I still went weekly to the hospital to attend group therapy and see my psychiatrist, but I was safe and functional and didn't have to be admitted. That would have... It was terrifying. Yeah. So my husband... And I discussed it. Um, I I didn't just want to have one child because, I mean, I had a sibling. My husband had a sibling. Um, and the biggest thing for me was that I did not want PND or postnatal depression to define my life choices. And I was determined that my yeah I guess the choices surrounding my family were not going to be um, because of an illness so you know some some people say that I was crazy but you know I like to think that I proved everyone wrong yeah <laughs> um and yeah my second baby wasn't easy. He is, I don't know if it's a typical boy thing, but was very clingy, didn't want anyone but me. Um, and, 
yeah, I did need medication and I um, managed to attend weekly hospital appointments and I did manage to breastfeed him because I, the new meds that I ended up going on, the combination was a friendly one for breastfeeding. So I kind of achieved all of those goals. But in saying that, I, I, it, it nearly didn't happen. Um, one of the stipulations that my husband kind of said was, you need to be well without medication before we try again. So it took a long time to wean off the drugs and make sure that I wasn't crashing and, and I did it. Um, but yeah, I'm not having any more. <laughs> I, I'm too undone. I don't want to tempt fate because should I ever have to go back to hospital again, I've got two, two children at home to think about who couldn't come with me. What were some of the self care strategies you put into place when you talk holistically, you had the nutrition and the eating well. What else was priority for you? Exercise for me is a big thing. So um, even now if I don't get enough exercise, I do get quite irritable and snappy. So I feel like um, I probably do have underlying tendencies for anxiety and depression, but I'm able to manage those now with exercise, eating well. Um, I've had to really lower my expectations of me just being a human being um, and coping with work and kids. I get a cleaner. We're fortunate enough that we can afford a cleaner. Um, I have had to say no to a lot of people that have asked me to do extra things or, you know, my kids if they want to do extra activities that I just can't fit in. I'm not the kind of person that, yes, I'm really busy, but I can't tie myself in knots trying to please everyone anymore. And sleep. I've always been one of those people that can function on, you know, five or six hours of sleep. But I, um, when I'm, I sort of set a bedtime each night and I try and get up at the same time each morning when I'm anxious, sleep is the first thing that goes. So having a few apps on my phone that I can either listen to some music or some meditation really helps. I feel like um, finding your little tribe as well, um, either it's a couple of ladies I exercise with, um, we all have kids, um, some of the school mums that I've met at my daughter's school just connecting and reconnecting with friends. I did lose contact with probably mm. 90, 90% of my friend group when I went through my illness because a lot of people just can't deal with the severity of what I went through and I don't blame them at all. That's, you know, it's quite understandable to pull away from someone that's that unwell because it can trigger stuff in their own cognition and psyche. Um, but just finding a little tribe, making sure that you're surrounding yourself by like-minded people and just cutting those toxic people out of your life. I think that's so kind of you understanding if people push away because I, on the other hand, would really challenge people that if it's too much for them that they really lean into it, especially if they've got a friend or family member mm -hmm. going into yeah. that, like this is not about you. Yeah, And if you are triggered, you can deal with that. But believe me, what the person like yourself went through, what they need is support and you to turn up, not to turn your back. And that might be, you know, in six months or a couple of years down the track, like you said, like maybe you didn't have the space to be a friend mm. for a while. But I challenge yeah. people to stand by people with mental health issues because that's what they need the most is connection. That's, yeah. And I think now having gone through it um, and looking back retrospectively, I did pull away a lot because I was so embarrassed and felt like such a failure and that I wasn't, I wasn't worth anything as a friend. 
And I think, you know, if you do have someone in your life that is doing that, then yeah, reach out and connect um, if you can. I do agree with that. But in saying that, I, I don't blame the people who did pull away because, you know, if it was their first experience with someone with a mental illness, it was quite a horrific one to <laughs> to look at, yeah. Can I ask, can everyone afford to go into a psychiatric help centre for that long or is that a very costly experience? So we had private health cover. Mm-hmm. If you don't have private health, it would be insanely expensive. Mm. Um Unfortunately, the uh, health cover that we were with did not fund my daughter's stay because she was considered a boarder, not an inpatient. And to me, that's crazy because if you're a mum being admitted to hospital for P&D, surely having your baby there to help with the bonding mm-hmm. is part of you getting better. But so overall, we probably spent close to $18,000 having her stay with me, which as a young couple was really expensive. Um, I was also fortunate enough that with my superannuation, I could access income protection insurance just to help out with the bills because I wasn't working anymore and I was earning more than my husband at the time. So, you know, we went back to one wage. So I was fortunate in that, that, you know, there are one in seven mums experience PND and one in 10 dads actually go through some sort of um, mental illness, whether or not be anxiety or depression. Um, And that's just stats you can find online. But not everyone has private health yeah. and in Queensland there's a four-bed unit at the Gold Coast that's dedicated to um, mums and babies, but that's it in terms of public beds. That's absolutely so outrageous. It's outrageous. It's it's such an underfunded part of um, our healthcare system and it's really sad because there's a lot of disadvantaged women um, and men who not only have PND but any kind of mental illness that just can't access the treatment they need. It just felt, yeah, it feels really unfair. Like you obviously had great things lined up for the worst case scenario to happen. Yeah. If you don't have the financial means and you are thinking of harming yourself and harming your child, how is there not resources yeah there's a helpline but then what else well yeah there's I mean there's the helplines um you know you can present to a public emergency but the public mental health facilities are just terrifying from what I've heard um I've had friends who were handcuffed to beds um (sighs) and that's just they ended up in the private system but they presented initially to public emergency and they just they they under-resourced and just the education surrounding best health care is yeah it's 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 shocking and the awareness is so limited that it just it actually makes me really angry mm. that's the reason I'm I reached out to you to talk to you as well because you know something needs to change now i hope that this helps in some tiny way because it is uh, it's infuriating i want to thank you so much for going there with us today i'm sure it's really difficult for you yeah i talk about it a lot now um as a part of my healing the more i speak the more feedback I get from others saying, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. I went through PND, but I was too scared to seek help. And I just want to say to all of those people, seek help because, you know, motherhood can be, and the only reason I know this is because I had a second baby and I had help, but it's it can be 
rewarding and it's not a scary awful place to be in like I thought it was initially yeah that's a really beautiful thing I think to point out is that things get better there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it might be the hardest road you've ever had to walk but you know there's a little person there waiting for you at the end who's always going to welcome you with open arms Mm. Taryn my final question is who are you when no one's watching uh, when no one's watching, I, I'm someone who likes to curl up with a book and a nice coffee. I do come across as being quite an extrovert, but I need my me time mm. and I need my time to be separate from other people because I'm someone that gets overwhelmed. I think with the busyness of life and I I need to disconnect and just have some me time. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was a pleasure and thank you so much for sharing my story. I hope it can help. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi everybody, it is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you'll hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.